All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pause before you today, and we thank you for the gifts that you give us, that we can come back in your house, Lord, and just enjoy each other's company, Lord, but most of all, just lift prayers to you. And Father, we are um, getting ready to go into a time where we're doing elder nomination, and we're hiring for another job, and we have so many changes taking place, and we just ask that your hand just blankets that, Lord. Your Holy Spirit comes around it, and it's guided uh, that you guide us through our decisions, Lord. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for the people that stand on the stage. We ask that you be with Adrian and Alan Michael and Jerry as they preach this morning, and just us as we sing, Lord, and just let us emanate your word on this stage. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand, in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord God to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. 
Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction, and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you all would uh, get out your Bibles, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 is where we are going to be this morning, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. I uh, can't explain to you still how excited I am to be back uh, in this place, being able to worship with you guys. Um, so as we get started, I want you to, uh, to imagine something with me real fast. Imagine that I am George Washington. All right, so for those who may not know who George Washington is, George Washington was the first president of the United States. But before he was the first president of the United States, he was uh, the general in the army that was the Revolutionary War, the war that took place so that we could have our freedom from England. He was an extremely uh, popular general. Everybody listened to him. He was a man of authority. Uh, they basically called him out of retirement to come do this. Like he was one of those uh, people that you just wanted to be in charge leading uh, your people. That was George Washington. Now imagine I'm that guy. Imagine I'm that guy this morning. And I tell you that, hey, tomorrow morning, there is this great army that's coming against us. England is coming back. They're coming to get us. And this army is so great that I'm honestly not sure what we're gonna do. I don't know, but I have a battle plan. And this is our battle plan. We're gonna get up tomorrow morning. We're gonna strap on our boots. We're gonna get our bayonets and, and we're gonna get uh, all our guns, our muskets, and we're going, we going to strap it on and we're gonna go out there and we're gonna stand at the top of the hill. We're gonna stand there. We're gonna hold our position. We are not going to move. And then we're just gonna kind of watch and see what happens. Well, if you're in my army, you're probably thinking to yourself, that's gotta be the worst battle plan in history. And it is. You wouldn't follow me if I told you that was the battle plan that we uh, were going uh, to go through. Why? Because our natural response in a situation like this is to fight or to run. We wanna fight or we wanna run. We don't just wanna stand there and wait and see what happens. We wanna to run towards the fight or we want to run away from the fight. See, if you have muskets, if you have swords, if you have these things ready for battle, then why wouldn't you use them? If I were to tell you that the imminent danger that we face today 
It's not like a battlefield where, where there's an army that's coming to sweep us and kill us. But the, the imminent danger we face today is not one that you can fight with musket and swords. We face an imminent danger today of pain and suffering. And like going into battle, we have two choices when that happens. One of them is to trust God. And one of them is to run from him. Those are our two options uh, in this situation. We can shoot a gun and fight in a battle, but we can't fight away the pain and suffering that we feel. We can't do that. So why am I bringing this up to you? Why am I talking about George Washington and this battle plan and then all of a sudden I'm talking about pain and suffering? And that's because the main idea, uh, the thrust of this Second Chronicles 20 passage is that the battle is not yours. The battle itself is not yours. If we remember what happened last week uh, in, in, in chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles, we will remember that Jehoshaphat, who's king over Judah, the southern kingdom, he makes these reforms and he goes out into uh, Judah to be among his people, but also to bring them back to the Lord. That was his purpose of going out. But he also set up judges around to be able to lead these different areas, to be able to make uh, judgment calls in these different areas so that his people would be ready, that, there would be, uh, that they would be full, that they would come back to the Lord. Uh, he, he, he led this way. And from that passage, we learned that we are to judge fearfully, fear, fearfully unto the Lord. We are to judge fairly because there's no injustice with God and to judge with integrity as we are called to do so wholeheartedly. And so now that that this has been put in place, Jehoshaphat now faces an enemy. That's too much for him. And there's three truths that come from uh, this, this idea that the battle is not yours that we find in this passage. And the first truth, the very first one, is that the battle is not yours because it's too big for you. The battle is not yours because it is too big for you. Now, the first verses of chapter 20 introduce a scene to us that the people of Judah are about to be attacked. So I'll read here in verse two. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. This great multitude is coming. This isn't just any great multitude of, uh, of just one army. No, in verse one, it says uh, that it names exactly who this is. And there's three different nations who are coming together, making this army to attack the people of Judah. It is a massive army. Judah's got no shot. That's what's happening. And then we see in verse three, we see Jehoshaphat's response. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Now, if I, if I was leader of Judah and I knew that this, this horde, this, this monstrous army, this massive army was coming uh, to overtake uh, the promised land that God has delivered to my people, I would probably be scared too. I would be fearful too. And it says that Jehoshaphat, if you look how closely it says here that he was afraid and something Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. It's almost as if these two separate phrases were in itself one word. That when he was afraid, 
his response was automatically this. That he was going to set his face to seek the Lord. Now I'm going to say to you that we all have fear. We do. We fear for different things. And we have natural responses to those fears. The fact that we fear is proof there are things that we cannot control. Now I'm going to give you an illustration to help, to help you kind of understand what I'm seeing. The, uh, I guess it was on Wednesday or Thursday on my front porch, there were three, three, mind you, spiders just hanging from the ceiling of my front porch. Well, my wife is deathly afraid of spiders. Like, like deathly. Like, is there anybody else in the room who's like deathly afraid of spiders? All right, not many people are admitting it this morning. Uh, but I've never understood the, the whole fear of spiders thing. These are three tiny little spiders and they're just hanging like right there on my front porch. So I do what my wife married me for and that's to kill all the bugs. And so I went and grabbed my flip-flops and, I, and I'm just gonna smash these things. So I get to the first spider, pop, gone, he's dead. I see the second spider, he's just hanging there, has no idea what's coming, pop, he's gone. Now, I may be embellishing this a little bit, but I think the third spider knew what was coming. Because when I got to the third spider, it was this little black, little black spider, the moment that I raised up my arms to smash, that spider just went, Pah! like completely lifted its arms out like that. Like it was gonna attack me, this poor little guy. And then he was dead. So like his fight was completely over. But still, he had a response in that moment that when he saw me coming, he, he spread his legs like I'm, I'm gonna attack back. And then I killed him. Now the spider had no shot. The spider had no shot in this battle at all. The battle was too big for it. But, but let me tell you, there are times where we are like the spider. When the fear comes to us, we have a natural response. We respond to that in some way. And what we see Jehoshaphat doing here is he's saying that when I'm afraid, I set my face to seek the Lord. So let me ask you this question. If I played a game with you and I asked you to fill in the blank, what would you say if you were to say, when I am afraid, I blank. When I'm afraid, I watch more news. When I'm afraid, I try to buck up to it. When I'm afraid, I call somebody. When I'm afraid, and you can fill in the blank. Jehoshaphat's response is that when I'm afraid, I set my face to seek the Lord. That is what it says here. And if your life group is meeting right now, you will deal with this. This will be the first question that you all have in your life group this week. These questions of what is your first response to bad news? What do you do first? Where do you turn? These are questions that you will deal with in your life group this week. So, so be ready for this. But we have to understand that Joshua's fear was, was rational. Because if you understand where the enemy is, is important. It says here that, that they are uh, from beyond the sea. Behold, they are in Hesazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. That is commonplace today. That is Bethlehem which means this is 10 miles south of where Jerusalem is, 
which means they're close. You could almost think that the people of Judah could hear the battle drums not too far away. The threat in itself was imminent. This was something that was come upon them. This is not an everyday kind of fear. This was a massive fear that was coming and it was close. This is like Moses leading the people out of Egypt. On one side is the Red Sea and he's not sure how he's gonna get across. And the other side is Pharaoh and the Egyptians coming and closing in. This is that type of fear. It is the fear of massive things that we can't control. I see Cindy Webb who's sitting here this morning whose daughter fought cancer and eventually went home to be with the Lord. That is the imminent danger. That is the fear. That is the, hey, this is against us. That's the magnitude of what this is. In verse four, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. So now all, all of Judah is coming together in this one place. And they're all coming together to seek the Lord. This word means to search or inquire specifically by worship or prayer. By worship or prayer. This is the, this is the, 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 the cancer diagnosis. This is the, this is the, your marriage is falling apart. This, this is the grieving, the loss of someone. These are the big, the big fears is what this is encompassing. He stood, Joshua stood with all the people and led them in this prayer. If we look at verse six, he said this, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. So he meets in front of all of the people, the entire assembly who is there, all of Judah who is there. And he leads them in this prayer saying, God, are you not the God in the heaven? Are you not the one who rules over all the nations? Even the nations that are right across the hill getting ready to attack us, are you not the one who is ruler over them? Are you not greater than my fears? Are you not greater than my doubts? Are you not greater than my insecurities? Are you not greater? And the answer is yes. Yes, he is. God is the ultimate anything. For, for, for those who are parents in the room, for, for, for you as a parent, God himself is the ultimate parent. And you are an earthly parent and you've got the kids who you uh, are parenting too, but he is, has many spiritual children. So we look to him. He is the ultimate. He is over all. We trust that, that this, this battle is too big for us. But let me tell you, it is not too big for him. For even the army that was coming against Judah, he rules over them. That's who he is. So the battle is not yours because it is too big for you. And the battle is not yours because God has fought for you before. Because God has fought for you before. So verse seven, did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel 
and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. So notice he says in in verse six, are you not the God in heaven, ruler of everything? And then he says here, did you not? Are you not and did you not? Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Looking back to the, 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 uh, the trip from the wilderness into the promised land. Looking back specifically, most likely on Jericho, the battle of Jericho, the, this, this, this city that had these massive walls. We know the stories of the, of the massive walls of Jericho that, that were too impenetrable. You couldn't have gotten through them. And so God gives them this battle plan. This is what I want you to do. For six days, I want you to walk around the walls one time. And then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the wall seven times. And at the very end, I want you to sing. I want you to blow your trumpets, blow your horns. I want you to just shout as loud as you can. And judgment will fall on them. Okay? Seems like a weird plan. But we'll walk around these walls. And what we see in that story is that they do exactly as God says. And at the very end, after they walk around the last time, they sing, they blow their horns. The walls just come tumbling down. He's done it before. He's taken care of them before. And so he's looking back. Did you not? Did you not drive out the inhabitants so that we could have this land that you promised to us? Yes. Yes, he did. And then they have lived in it and built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying, and this is verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine... We will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And what they're quoting here is actually a prayer from Solomon when Solomon was king. And he, and he prayed this prayer saying that, Lord, when pestilence comes and takes out our crops, will you hear from heaven? When a massive army comes to us and threatens our very doors, will you hear from heaven? When famine comes and we are sick and dying, will you hear from heaven? And so what Jehoshaphat is praying is a reminder to what Solomon said. That when these things occur, because notice what he says in verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before you because your name is in this house and we will cry out in our affliction and you will hear and you will save. They are remembering what happens so that they can be resolved that this is what we will do when this happens. We will look to you. We will cry out to you because you will hear us. You've done it before and you will do it again. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you will not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. And then here is verse 12. This verse right here is so powerful. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. So notice here, he has already said, oh God, are you not? Are you not the God of the heaven who is ruler over all? Did you not? Did you not take care of us before? Did you not drive out the inhabitants that were in the land before us and give us this victory? 
And now we see here in verse 12, will you not? Will you not execute judgment on this great horde that is coming against us? Will you not? Remembering what they did before. And you also have to remember, this is Jehoshaphat. This is the king of Judah. He is standing before all of his people, this great assembly. And he is saying here that we are powerless. We are powerless. There's no way that we're going to defeat this great army, this massive army, these three different nations who are coming together to attack us. We can't do it. So how does he finish this? This is so powerful. At the end of verse 12, we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't know if I can fight. I don't know if I can, if I can stand tall. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know the plan, but here's what I do know is that this battle's too big for me. I know that you fought for me before. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set my eyes on you. I'm going to trust that you know what's best. I'm going to trust that you will see me through. I'm going to trust in you, even especially all the time, but when I don't trust in myself. I know I can't do it, but I know that you can. I know that you can You see, we know this because he's done it before. We read all these stories, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We see how he delivered his people, how he has provided for them. We know that he's done this before. And even in our own lives, we can look back at places where we've seen him working, where we've seen him deliver us, where we've seen him act in a powerful way that we could be saved and rescued from any situation, that he has cared for us, that he has nurtured us, that he has held us together. Even when we were at our worst, we have seen these times and we look back to them and we reflect and we remember so that then when the next one comes, the next imminent danger, the next fear that comes to our doorstep, we will say, are you not? Are you not the God in heaven? And did you not? Did you not fight for me before? Now, will you not? Will you not see me through this? That's what we see here. That is our prayer. That is what we are called to do. I'll have to admit, I have this next illustration, but but this I got exactly from Adrian Early. So you already know it's a sports analogy. This reality of knowing something, someone has done something before and you'll trust them, they'll do it again. The the series on on ESPN, The Last Dance, the story of Michael Jordan and the Bulls and that whole story. If you remember, like for those who watch basketball and watch Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was that guy at the end of the game, if you were down one point or two points, it didn't matter who was on your team, there was one person who you knew should get the ball. Why? Because Michael Jordan has done it before. Michael Jordan's going to get the ball. He's going to go score. So as I'm, if I'm on his team, I'm saying, here's, here's, here's the game plan. I'm going to uh, just give the ball to Michael, and then I'm just going to watch him do his thing. I'm just going to stand back and let him do his thing. Because Michael could do it. Michael Jordan did it before. You trust that he would do it again. But even Michael failed. Even Michael failed. But God will not. He will not. We trust that he's come through before because he has, and we will trust that he will come through again because he will. Because he is God. He does not fail. 
And he gives this promise to us, guys. You understand in the book of Joshua, it even tells us that there was not one promise that he made to the people of Israel that did not come to pass. Every promise that he makes, he keeps. It is who he is. And we trust that that is who he is. So the battle is not yours because it is too big for you. The battle is not yours because God has fought for you before. And lastly, the battle is not yours because God is with you. The battle is not yours because God is with you. Continue on, verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Imagine this room being filled. We have, we have children in this room. Imagine getting this news, praying this prayer. There's no one who's not hearing this. Husbands, wives, children, everyone. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, son of uh, Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of, Ahaz, of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. What we see in this moment is that they are all here together. And then Jehaziel begins to speak. Remember, Jehaziel is a prophet. Jehoshaphat is the one who is speaking up to this point. And now Jehaziel is going to speak. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord has come upon him. Jehoshaphat is a king who listens to these prophets. He listens. So now Jehaziel begins to speak and he begins to give the battle plan of what is going to happen next. He says this in verse 15. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and and King Jehoshaphat, uh, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's. For the battle is not yours but God's. And so at this point in the sermon, you may be thinking to yourself, wow, okay, so the, the spirit of the Lord came upon the people. Well, these were the chosen people of Israel. We know that this is who is supposed to have the spirit of the Lord. So what does that mean for me? First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, but you, this is speaking of us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Do you hear that? Once you were not, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy and with that the promise as we see in Ephesians 1 the promise Holy Spirit that indwells within us right now he is constantly with us but he says here in verse 15 do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the battle is not yours but it is God do not fear is what he says the the, the phrase do not fear is used 365 times once for every day of the year. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The battle's not yours. It's God's. And to that we say amen. That the, the fear that I face, the battle that's coming is not mine to fight. It is in fact God's to fight. The Lord is with us all the time. There, I just imagine as I'm teaching my son Christian who, who is two years old, I so badly, just to admit to you guys, want him to play baseball. So badly. I've already got him a t-ball set and he gets out there and we go and hit. So when I was trying to teach him what to do, 
for, for all the fathers and mothers in the room who've ever played wiffle ball or baseball with your kid, what do you do when they're first learning? Well, you stand behind them and you hold the bat with them. That's what we would do. I would stand behind Christian, put the ball on the tee, and of course, I'm, I'm getting his feet right. You know, I'm trying to get his knees bent and, you know, I'm trying to keep his balance. I'm doing all, way too much. He's two. And, but I'm, I'm a little too worried about that. But what happens is I grab the bat with him and, and then we begin to swing. Just a clean, smooth off the tee. It, you know, it's like 95% me swinging and 5% him. But who's most excited? Well, me, because I so badly want him to play bait. I'm just kidding. No, it's him. It's him. He gets so excited when he hits it. I'm there guiding him. I'm right with him. My hands are holding the bat with him. And let me tell you this morning that if you're facing imminent fear in your life, this great fear that's too much for you, if the Lord is not with you, there is no fight to be had. Jerry said it this morning in the eight o'clock sermon, and I'm gonna use it because he's here, and I'm, I'm gonna say it. If, if the Lord is not with me during this sermon, there's no preaching happening up here. If the Lord is not with you while you are parenting, there's no parenting happening there. He is with us, he guides us, he leads us. So as we keep reading, tomorrow go down against them. Jehaziel is still speaking. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. (laughs) What? You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. The three commands that Jehaziel speaks to them, coming straight from the Lord. Stand firm, hold fast, watch. Stand firm, hold fast, watch. The, the idea of standing firm, it's, it's not just staying there, it's actually an expectation. It's a stance of expectation, knowing something's gonna happen. If you go to Chick-fil-A, you have an expectation that what you're gonna get is really good. You have this expectation. And when it's not, you're extremely disappointed. But he's saying here, we're gonna stand there expectantly like something is going to happen. But then you're gonna hold fast. You're gonna hold your position. When you see the great army coming over the rise, you're not gonna back away. You're gonna stand there and hold. But then lastly, you're gonna watch. You're gonna watch. You're gonna see my salvation that I will deliver you for you do not need to fight in this battle because I will fight for you. That's what he is saying. That's what he is saying. You strap up, put your boots, get everything you need to get ready, but you're gonna stand there, you're gonna hold fast and you're gonna watch me work because I am who you say I am. I am the God of heaven. I have delivered you before and I will do it again. That's exactly what he's saying. So they go out there. Or sorry, let me finish. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 17, finish that. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. He said it again. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. So what we see is that they all go out the next day. They all go out the next morning. They're going exactly, getting on the front line where they're they're supposed to be. Jehoshaphat gives this speech of what's gonna happen. But then he also has specific men to dress up in holy attire. And what their job is to be is to lead in singing. They're gonna stand on that front line. 
They're gonna stand there awaiting this army to come across the ridge and they are going to be the ones who lead this army to sing. And it says here in chapter 20 exactly what they sing. Verse 21, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. So they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And that is what they begin to sing. So on the, on the front lines of this battle, of which they're not gonna fight, instead they sing, they worship, they praise him. So what happens at the end of the story? Is that as they're singing, as soon as they begin to sing on top of this mountain, the, the, three, the three armies that are coming across the ridge, it says here in scripture, finish reading it. I'm not gonna read it all. There's, there's a ton there, but it's, it's good for you. It's meat. But what happens here is that the battle, the, the armies begin to fight each other. <laughs> they're coming up over the ridge. The people of Judah begin to sing and then all of a sudden they just all turn on each other and it says that they turned on each other so much that there was no one left. To the very last man, they killed each other. Not only did God deliver them from this battle, save them so that they had no losses, but then the people of Judah were able to go out and get provisions for themselves. And it said that it was actually too much for them. But they were actually able to go out there, get provisions, and, and it was an overabundance of what they needed. God delivered them from this situation. And the place where this battle took place is called the, Ver- the Valley of Barakah. The Valley of Barakah. Barakah in Hebrew means blessing because it says here that this is where they bless the Lord. And even today, in 2020, the Valley of Barakah is still there. And that is what it is still called. You can actually go there today and see there. And remember, this is where this battle took place. So if the band would come back up. What we're going to do, we, we, we flip this around because at the end of the story, we see them worshiping. We see them singing. We see them uh, uh, understanding how great God is in this crazy moment. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is we are going to sing. For there, there, there are some people in this room right now who I promise you, who are going through some imminent danger, some imminent fear in your life. You see the battle coming. You see that it's too much for you. And maybe what you have done so far is seek out things that are not gonna fight the battle. To seek out things that maybe actually grow your fear more. And so can I say something to you this morning? There's so much application from this text that I like, I could just walk through it all again. And is that when we are afraid, we are afraid. My prayer is that we as a people, as we as a church, is that in these times of fear that we set our face to seek the Lord. What's so beauty, what's so beautiful about this is in verse 18, is that it says, then. After this, when, after Jehaziel said, you will go out and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And so to demonstrate that for you, 
This is the king of Judah. This is the king of Judah, of this nation, who is facing an enemy that, that he can't, he even said we're powerless. And this is what he did. He bowed and he dropped his head and he worshiped. He worshiped God. He didn't create this amazing battle plan after hearing what God had said, after God had said, stand there, stand there, hold fast and watch. Josh, if I didn't say, I don't know, Lord, that seems like a weird plan. I bet I can come up with a form where we can, we can trap them, we can, we can ambush them or something like that. No, he didn't say that. His response was, as the leader, as the king, to bow down and worship the ruler of all. He's saying, I'm a king here, but you're king over all of this. And so for those of you who are facing this fear, let us bow down and worship him this morning. No matter where you are, that is what we are gonna do.